Cancel culture is real. CrossPolitik is on the front lines of this battle with the goal of creating a Christian television network and platform where we can't be canceled and where content creators will have the freedom to glorify God. Our goal is to create a space for like-minded businesses to thrive on this platform and to reach an audience that will not only buy your products and services, but also support your business when the heat of cancel culture comes your way. We want our platform to help you create an anti-fragile business as we bring together Christians from all over the world to tune in. With millions of downloads a year, access to DirecTV, Xfinity, and social media outlets, we are excited to partner with you. So, if you own a business and believe in this vision, then you need to call me. I'm Garrison Hardy, and I am the business development rep at CrossPolitik and the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We are looking for businesses, large or small, that not only have great products and services, but also understand that the cultural battle that is impacting the business climate here and now. I have a background in marketing, and I'd love to help you advertise your business on CrossPolitik. Give me a call at 208-792-1290 or email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. I like that line. It's giant season. I want I want them to hear John. <laughs> hey y'all, welcome to Water Break. It is that time of the week again. It's Thursday, which I can't believe how fast this week has gone. It's been flying. It's flying. It, it's been incredible. Um, thank you for tuning in. It's uh, our, our new time, as you guys are already aware. It's seven p.m. Seven p.m. on Thursdays from here on out. We do the midweek fix now on Wednesdays. We do the Sunday special on Sundays at seven. So everything's at seven p.m. Uh, throughout the week. Uh, currently, seven p.m. Pacific time, right? That's true. We need. We do. I just assume Pacific time is right. just what it should be all over. Mm-hmm. Like just, I just assume Jesus is King, and it's seven p.m. It's not. God's time is Eastern time, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to quibble with you. I'm just a sidekick. <laughs> As you guys know, the comedian next door, John Branion, over here. I need. I need a. You know what? I need a drum roll or something for you, or, or a cheers. Where is that? Uh, either of those would be appropriate. This one says that's not appropriate. Crowd medium size. This says a medium sized crowd laughing. Yeah, a medium-sized crowd is a little larger than I'm used to. <laughs> have you got like a... You need that like, living room, 10 people experience. Right, right. Have you got a couple of people just kind of... Have you got sound effect of two people smiling? <laughs> That's, That's what it. I'm used to. <laughs> and, you know, cl- uh, snapping. Uh, I also mm-hmm. want to introduce you guys, uh, Wade and Andrew. Wade and Andrew are planting, church planting Apologia, Utah. Guys, welcome to joining us. Thanks for having us. Super excited to be here. Yeah. John, do you know Wade and Andrew? I do now. Uh, okay. I met them just a few seconds ago. You didn't meet Wade. Look at look at Wade's shirt. You didn't meet Wade at the conference? I don't know. I don't think we encountered each other at the <laughs> conference, did we, Wade? No, no, no. You got it flip-flopped. I'm Andrew. That's Wade. Andrew. Andrew. Wade. Yeah, yeah. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Wade. Did I say Wade? So- was it me yeah, that led? Yeah. I, yeah, I let no. I knew. I knew Wade. Have you met I, Wade? Yeah. That's the question. That, <laughs> that is, <laughs> you met Wade. <laughs> I meant Andrew. Oh. That's uh, but yeah. 
There you go. So, so John, do you know Wade? <laughs> no, no, no. I still don't know Wade. Um, I, I don't think we ran into each other yeah. at the conference. That's it funny. Was, uh, so Andrew, Andrew's just not rem- memorable to you at all. I don't think I ran into Andrew either. Did I? Did well, I did Andrew I would be the guys? one at the conference. I keep messing with you, man. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Well, uh, Andrew, I, you got the podcast shirt on, man. You, you had a good time yeah. at our conference. I loved it, dude. And theology podcast is probably my favorite podcast out there. I feel like I get nice. like a seminary, like a I seminary know. level education for straight free, man. I love those guys. They are yeah. such a blessing. Yeah. No, that's a, we needed a little depth on our network and, and the comedian next door just wasn't bringing it. And so that's why. <laughs> <I> mean, right. <laughs> right, John. It's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> you aren't, you aren't laughing. Are you? <laughs> um, no, it's fine. I like I love the podcast guys or the podcast guys too. So yep. I'm not. It's not a competition. No, Gabe, no, this is not a competition. <laughs> we're not going to turn it into that. We're all friends. We're uh, all friends here. So I'm I'm going to actually talk. Uh, I'm actually going to just lay out the topic of the show right here because I think everything kind of flows with this and what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we, today, last week, me and John, when we got off our show um, last week, we were talking. Man, we should we should talk about comedy. We should talk about. Um, why Christians need to be comedians, why that's a worthy pursuit, um, you know, uh, what's wrong with comedy and, and that whole conversation. And, and then the guys from Apologia, um, Utah, we wanted, we've been wanting to get them on for weeks. And I said, well, I was thinking like, well, this is a, actually a good show to bring in church planning and, and why church planning in relationship to comedy. And hopefully we can all tie that together in this show. So, but not the, a chance. Not a chance. Not, not going to happen. But the question I want to start off with is, is comedy dead? You know, uh, remember the Time Magazine cover that asked the question, is God dead? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, is comedy dead? And if comedy's dead, that means we have, I think this is this is what it means. If, if comedy is dead, if we answer in the affirmative, if comedy is dead, that means we have gone mad. Okay, comedy can only function in God's economy. All other worldviews cannot cannot account for comedy. You know, atheism can't account for comedy. There's no such thing as a joke in atheism. So when our culture succumbs to a postmodern, modernist kind of relativistic worldview, well, well, nothing's funny anymore. Satire is dead. Jokes are dead. Standing, stand-up comedy is dead, um, which actually reminds me of, of a joke. Um, what, what do postmoderns and drugs have in common, John? I, I do not know. Haha, <laughs> they both make you see things that aren't there. <laughs> that that was good. But I'm writing but, it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. But think about this. Superman's now gay. Math is now racist. Bruce Jenner was awarded the ESPY Awards as a woman. You know, feminism's taught that women that their worth is found outside the house. You know, the the working for the corporate board run by multiple men. That's where their worth is at. Building other men's wealth instead of building her husband's wealth. Mm. The church had effeminate men in the pulpit long before they realized that women would be actually be better women in the pulpit. You know, better women than Russell Moore, Ed Litton, Andy Stanley in the pulpit. And, and while I'm at it, reformed churches better stop wearing robes because your church will be going gay in less than 40 years if you don't stop it. Reach. And to my Reformed Baptist brothers, <laughs> oh no! stop trying to be statesmen. That is just the kind of political jargon for being soft. You know, Malakoy. I'm, I'm, 
I'm getting off topic, but not, but not, not really here. Um, our friend Jason Whitlock um, says that pastors and comedians have failed our culture because they are the two cultural leaders who not only have permission to tell the truth, but by their very job are required to tell the truth. So is is comedy dead, John? Well, yeah. in, in a sense, I, I think it is. And as Christians, we need to recover this dialect, this this tool, this, this, this industry. Now, there are a number of directions I can take this conversation, but I want you to consider this angle. Comedy's dead because masculinity is dead. Ooh. And, of course, we could say comedy is dead because truth is dead. Um, but I think it's important to kind of sink some teeth into what I mean by truth is dead. Comedy is dead because truth is dead because masculinity is dead. So with that, John, where do you take that? <laughs> where do I take that? Yep. Uh, well, first of all, I would submit that uh... – you know, a gay Superman is not necessary. I'm sorry. And he's not gay. He's bisexual. <laughs> um, but the, the existence of a bisexual Superman would indicate to me that comedy is still alive and well, isn't it? I mean, who was asking for that? Who was, who was asking for that? <laughs> well, was it your, that's was funny. It your avid Superman uh, readers. Mm-hmm. Were they, were they asking for that? I don't think they were. No. Um, Bruce Jenner getting an ESPY award uh, as a woman, you know, if that's not comedy, Gabe. Um, but I understand your point. Yeah. Your point is that your point is that intentional comedy is uh, offensive to people, and so rather than offend people, mm-hmm. we uh, we shy away from it, we back away from it, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a, it's a very masculine thing to do to say true things, even if you're going to offend people. Right. And so when you stop saying true things at the risk of offending people, then you're not behaving masculine anymore. That's good. That's good, John. Wade, Andrew, you guys got any comments on that? I, I got a comment on that. I, I'd say um, I don't think comedy has ever been dead. If it comes from God, I'd say secular comedy has always been dead. Mm-hmm. Right. It's masquerading as alive originally because it's uh, taking from the Christian worldview in itself to make a joke. Mm-hmm. Right. To say something that may be funny, but what's happened over time is the secular culture with this parading, this form of comedy through the judgment of God. Now it's just falling apart. Mm-hmm. They can't make sense of it what, whatsoever. So I, th- I would say it's more of a judgment from God on the secular culture. Yeah. Comedy is yeah. alive and well. Right. Yeah. Like like you're saying, bisexual Superman. That's hilarious. Why? Because I'm a Christian and that is just hilarious to me. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's like with the. Uh with a, a, a Malakoy man versus a masculine man, mm-hmm. you know, you, uh, I just lost my thought. You might want to cut that out. Mal- Malakoy. <laughs> I'm not used to this stuff. Means, means soft. And, um, you, you know, was, I think Tim Bailey um, brought this to my attention uh, when we had him on the show. I think it was like two, two and a half years ago, maybe longer. Oh, my goodness. Two, two and a half years ago, he wrote a book called The Grace of Shame. A really good book on kind of dealing with the sin of homosexuality in, in the church and in culture. And in First Corinthians, a lot of our Bibles kind of neuter the translation and combine Malakoi and, um, oh gosh, what's the other Greek word there? Um, combine the two Greek words. One means kind of the, the male um, leader in the homosexual relationship and then the effeminate mm-hmm. 
uh, man in the homosexual relationship, the soft man. So malakoi means soft man. And so what our translations do, they actually combine the two Greek words just to say homosexual. Is it arsenikoites or something like that, I man. believe? Uh, you might be right. You might be right. Um, and so our translations combine that into one English word, homosexuality, which actually takes away from a lot of what the text is even getting at. And the word malakoi is uh, referred to as soft men. So mm. even when men are, you know, and it's, you know, condemning soft men saying you are not in the kingdom. Mm. Wow. Which so is, you're saying we should change it from Superman to soft man. <laughs> that's, it's soft man now. It's not Superman. That's my whole argument. That's, I, yeah, I had a different name for him that I'm not sure that I won't get in trouble if I say it. So I'm going to keep it to myself. Um, but I, I think that it's a trend that this, it's a trend that's been happening for a while now that we've been remaking superheroes. We've been rebooting them. Thor was actually made into a woman uh, mm -hmm. a little right. while back, and uh, we've rebooted Captain America also. I think he may have come out as, as straight up gay. I don't know if he, if he was, but he's the sexual orientation of these various cartoon characters has been something that's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the one hand, I'm tempted to go, well, so what? They're just drawings. I mean, they're just, it's just, they're not real people. Mm -hmm. This is just a concept, but, uh, but it's a symbol. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, our, our superheroes are symbols and they stand for things. And they used to stand for virtues uh, that, that we were aspiring to get to, you know, truth, justice, the American way, uh, equality, uh, law and order. These were things that we would go, yes, our superheroes are standing there. And sure, they can, they can fly, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. We can't do that, but we can do the unsuper things. We can aspire to do the unsuper things that they represent. Mm -hmm. But now we don't do that anymore. Now we make our superheroes in our own likeness. We ascribe to our superheroes the things that we already right. possess in ourselves. Right. And we think, so we're basically, we basically are casting ourselves as superheroes now. Right. Mm. And that's why they're all going woke too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all projecting their virtues into that, into that role. Right. What, what is, what's super about a person's sexuality. Well, nothing, whether you're, whether you're heterosexual or whether you're bisexual or whether you're homosexual, that's not what is heroic mm -hmm. about you. Right. And so it's, you know, on the one hand it's tragic, but from my point of view, because everything is a comedy, mm -hmm. it's hilarious. It's yeah. hilarious that Superman has to be bisexual now in order for people to be interested in what he's doing. Yeah. That's, that's or, or that's what Hollywood thinks. Superman has to be a bisexual to appeal to a broader audience. Right. You it's know. actually a narrower audience, but yeah. It's like vices uh, have become virtues and true virtues have become the villains. That's like right. that's what we're seeing happening right now in our society. And it's, it's from a debased mind that's been handed over to its sin. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. And I want to, you know, also to kind of be fair a little bit to even, you know, we're talking, I mean, I, I think in some sense, uh, you know, Andrew, I take your point about comedy not being dead um, and secularist comedy is dead. Uh, you know, one of the uh, things you, you even look back comedy in the last 40 years and there's this weird problem where if comedy is not dirty, foul or full of, you know, mm. filthy language and metaphors, then it's not funny. And then, and then in the church, you got this uh, other ditch where uh, comedy has to be, you know, 
clean, uh, you know, cleaned up, um, you know, uh, saran wrapped and all that stuff. And and so you got this other ditch where, where the, the comedians in the church aren't that funny. Um, oh. And sorry, sorry, John, I wasn't talking about you, but uh, so you got comedians in church that aren't that funny because they're trying to keep it so clean and so, you know, their view of family friendly. Um, and they have no paradigm, you know, the church comedians have no paradigm of fitting in, uh, you know, uh, Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt kind of stories. You know, they, they couldn't talk about half the biblical stories in their, in their comedy stand-up because those would be too dirty for them. Um, John, you probably, you, you've probably seen this for, you know, I mean, you got more experience in the comedy world. Not much more than me, but you, you got more experience no. there. You know, how do you kind of look at those kind of ditches? Well, I, you're first of all, you're exactly right. Um, there's there's ditches on both sides, and there's the no holds barred vulgarity, um, and let's just say as many shocking, outrageous things as we can mm-hmm. to uh, to tweak the sensibilities of even secular audiences, right. which is an astounding thing. You've <laughs> got a, you've got a group of people that are, that are secular. So they have no, they're pagans. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're having to say things to try to outrage them, I mean, that's, that in itself is sort of funny. Yeah. You know, right. the, the extremes that you have to go to, to offend people who basically don't have any virtues or ethics themselves. Right. But on the other side, the churches, um, I think that what you're describing is the result of the churches over the years um, refusal to basically admit that we live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And even sermons um, are becoming so sanitized to where we don't even talk about sin as a bad thing anymore. Right. Um, sin, right. sin is the thing that we rarely talk about. And when we do talk about it, we don't talk about it as, as this filthy, vulgar, uh, obscene thing, the way they talked about it in the Bible. You know, the Bible uses vulgarity to describe um, what we consider our righteousness. Mm-hmm. And we don't use that word in church right. because it would offend the nice um, church people. That's right. And so what's happened is we've sanitized sin. And we've gotten to the point where we don't talk about people really being sinful anymore. We talk about brokenness. We talk about making mistakes. Mm-hmm. We talk about uh, messiness. That's my favorite one. Well, you know, it's relationships are messy because people are messy. Mm-hmm. No, people are are sinners and they are expletive right. sinners. Yeah. Um, but we don't say that anymore. Right. Well, uh, John, give me give me like your your two minute, you know, elevator um, summary of of why comedy is biblical why comedy is biblical Mm -hmm. um because well jesus was funny if you if you look at the things that jesus said when he was he was making profound points he'd always tell parables Mm -hmm. and the parables many of them are these um obtuse uh exaggerated uh word pictures you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Mm-hmm. And why are you judging? Why are you trying to pick a speck out of your brother's eye when you have a plank sticking out of your eye? Yeah. These are things that are kind of lost in translation mm-hmm. um, because we don't read them the way that they were spoken. But that was high comedy back right. in the time. And Jesus did that because God knows that when you're funny, 
people remember what you say. And when you're funny, when you make people laugh, people tune in to what you're saying. And it breaks down walls, it breaks down barriers, and it makes people like you. So if you can walk into a room full of uh, pa pagans, mm -hmm. um, and I have done it many, many times, if you can walk into a room full of pagans who do not believe anything like you believe, and you can make them laugh, they will become your friends, mm -hmm. and then you can say other things to them. Mm -hmm. Wade or Andrew, you guys got any uh, two-minute elevator pitches there? Honestly, when you, Gabe, talked about like the two ditches that Christians can fall in. I immediately was reminded of like uh, the prophet Elijah at Mount Carmel. Yeah. And, you know, you have the uh, prophets of Baal trying to call down fire from their false God. Right. And, and, and even God himself says, you know, where, where, where is your God? Is, is, is he relieving himself? Or right. some, have, some people have said, you know, is he pooping? You know, they, they paraphrase there. Right. Well, where's he at? Where's your God at? And I, I think that's an example where the word of God shows us that the Lord himself um, mocks and he laughs at the schemes of, 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 of evil men. That's right. And, and it's humorous to him. He, he's entertained by that. Yeah. And to, to piggyback off it, I think that the, the sad thing about in the Christian circle is that people have a more holier than thou mentality and they don't think they mean to do that, but um, holy, holier than God, in a sense, they're thinking in terms of comedy. Like we have Paul using the word scubalon mm -hmm. and that is an intense word. And this is the inspired word of scripture. And then we have an in, in the book of Ezekiel, when God's condemning Israel for being a whore, mm -hmm. these are the words, right? That she was whoring after the Egyptians who met, whose members were the size of donkeys. Yep. Right. This is in the Bible. And then it yep. talks about their emission. Yep. Right. So Christians have the, the tendency to swing all the way where they hear, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But they don't understand that there's a time in a controversy for the sake of controversy is a sin. Right. But controversy for the sake of the gospel, yep. for the sake of the kingdom is a divine command. And I would say comedy does the same thing. There's a time and a place for it. The secular world doesn't know the time and the place for unwholesome or not necessarily unwholesome speech, but let's say dirty and derogatory speech, That's where right. as in the Christian worldview, we should know the exact perfect time when to use satire and comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you can just go from story after story in the scriptures where the, you know, the Hebrew midwives were um, birthing all these children. The, the, the Israelites were um, procreating like rabbits under slavery, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in slavery. And, you know, Pharaoh was mad that the Hebrew wives were not getting there in time to kill the babies. Or at least um, that's what the Hebrew wives, uh, midwives told them. They right. lied to Pharaoh and said, oh, they're, the Hebrew slave women are very powerful hips. And they have the babies before we get there. Um, right. You know, you think of Jonah um, and, and a well eating him and spitting him out, out, out on the beach, you know, kind of stories. And scripture's full of this kind of satirical comical edge in uh in scriptures and that's I, I you know i remember kind of growing up i was always kind of a goofball in in uh in school and it was always discouraged um mm. and and you know actually probably for the most part i probably should have been discouraged <laughs> um getting kicked out of class being a goofball that kind of stuff uh but that you know i, uh, I think what has happened though is We've looked at the goofball kid as an immature kid, as something that, that needs to stop, that needs to go away. He needs to mature and therefore stop being goofy. And so we've kind of, in, the church has encouraged this culture of, of 
actually, John, you you've experienced this probably in immense ways where where you just don't really invite comedy into the culture of of the Christian church. Um, and we discourage it in the young men, the young boys who are being goofy. Instead of channeling, maybe instead of channeling some of those strengths, we just say no. You don't. You should not have anything to do with it. It's immature, and labeling it in such a way where you kind of actually kill comedy in the church. Um, That's a great point. That's a great point, Gabe. Um, we, we've our concept of comedy is that goofball kid in church who's or in school who's acting up and is actually disobeying. You're, you're not supposed to do that. If you're the class clown and the teacher's trying to go a different direction and you are interrupting and disrupting, that's, that's actually sin. You're not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, but we have made that the picture of what all comedy is. And so we say, well, yeah, we're not going to bring a comedian into the church because uh, they're, they're goofballs. They have nothing to say. They just disrupt and they're, they're vulgar and they're obscene. And that is the entire picture of comedy, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a false picture. Right. That's a great point. And it, and it needs to be redeemed in a lot of ways because like Jason said, Jason Whitlock said is like comedians really have a huge role in society. There, there really is a cultural role that comedians have, and they have, they they've been given permission to be the Joker in the King's courts. They've been given the permission to kind of be the you know the the you know the prophet uh, in a, in a certain way uh, in our society and call us out, and make fun of our our sins, make fun of um, you know some goofy things we might do as a society, or make fun of you know, and and now that we've kind of you know. It's amazing to me, uh, you know, to watch the Dave Chappelle uh, Netflix special. I don't know if uh, Wade and uh, Andrew, if you guys saw that yet, but um, not yet. Uh, you know, in one sense, there's a lot going on, and obviously, there's all this cultural background stuff that's going on. Why Dave did does does what he does, but one of the things culturally that he's doing is he's creating space for comedians to be comedians. Now. There's a lot of filth in his stand-up in his special, his most recent special, and, and but that he's he's a pagan. Pagan's gonna pagan, right? But um, he also is getting at a real truth that's going on in our society, and he did it in a pretty brilliant way. But the, one of the things that he in his stand-up that he does is he creates space for comedians. We've uh, we refer to this on our show as the Overton window effect. The Overton window is basically the acceptable bandwidth of dialogue that's allowed in society so the overton window right now is way over to the left meaning that the leftists um are right now dictating what's acceptable speech in society that's the overton window that bandwidth there and when you cross that threshold of the overton window um you get canceled and and the church has you the church actually needs to set the overton window the church needs to define the overton window the church needs to establish culturally this is how we talk in our society and I think comedians are a big part of that. This comedians help push the Overton window, um, in a in and they should do it in a good way. So we we have this kind of acceptable bandwidth and, di- and dialogue in our society that's that's driven by Christian culture and not by leftist atheists who um, only use the Overton window to get their way. They, there's no truth that's uh, at the basis of their Overton window. Uh, would you say that there's a Overton window? Um, in church culture as well that we are that we are outside of that the that our beloved fight laugh feast network is oh, yeah. outside the overton window in um evangelistic 100 uh, yeah in evangelism and i think i think the overton window 
um, in the church is, um, so the church is supposed to lead culture. The church is the city on a hill. The church, you know, is, is supposed to go disciple all the nations. The church is supposed to lead culture. And I think the church in the U S was leading culture for the longest time. And then now, um, and you could probably still argue that the church is leading culture in some ways. Um, you know, you got, you know, um, in some ways we had women in the, in the pulpit before we had women fighting in F 15 pilot jets, you know? Mm-hmm. So we had women in the wrong place, um, in the church long before we had women in the long, wrong place in society. Um, good for us, but yeah, classic, classic church. But in a lot of ways, I think the church is also following, um, the, the world in a lot of ways now instead of leading. And I think the Overton window in the world is, is polling the church's Overton window. So it's acceptable for Timothy Keller, you know, he wrote a article in New York Times uh, last year, two years ago, uh, whatever it was, about when our whole, when Donald Trump was dealing with all the immigration problems. Well, where's he had permission to write about that? He didn't write about abortion in the New York Times. He didn't have permission to write about that. He didn't write about you know headship and submission in the New York Times. He didn't have permission to write about that. And 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 so you see, kind of like pastoral leaders um, writing and speaking into what they have permission to talk about. Um, and so I think the Overton windows in the church is in some sense, probably more egregious than the Overton window, um, defined by the leftists in our society right now. Right. Well, there's a, the, the danger of course, is when you are, uh, when you're outside the Overton window, then you feel irrelevant and you feel like nobody's listening to you. Um, and the, the culture is, you feel like you're on the wrong side of history to use the That's right. popular idiotic phrase. That's right. Um, but if you are inside the Overton window, at least in current church culture, mm-hmm. then you are in danger of being um, a heretic, right? Mm-hmm. Because in order to speak into the culture, in order to be inside that Overton window and address the things that you are allowed to dr- address, mm-hmm. you have to say things that are not in alignment uh, with scripture. Right. 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 Nope. And I think, um, we obviously old. So I said, I said, is comedy dead? And then, and then I said, well, comedy's dead because truth is dead. And then I said, well, what I mean by that is masculinity's dead. Comedy's dead because masculinity's dead. Um, and our uh, the foundation of truth has everything to do with this. Um, I had some really good comments that I deleted out of my monologue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of. That kind of was it's was talking censorship. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, that's You're right. Learning, um, you know, when you when you kind of um, for the world to function for unbelievers, they have to close their eyes. Um, they have to constantly run and duck and dodge, you know, truths all around them, um, and and they and and then at the same time they have to pretend that they're floating in the air. In other words, they have to pretend that there's no foundation under them and they have to reject absolute morality, absolute truth. Um, the found, you know, that foundation under them. So they're, they're floating around in the air constantly while trying to pronounce judgments on the belief on Christians, uh, you know, uh, abortion, you know, pro pro-life ministries. You know, it's always funny to me to watch atheists sit there and fight with, you know, Jeff, Jeff Durbin, you know, brother Jeff, yeah. Um, on why they're allowed to murder babies, um, you know, and, and why Jeff is hating them. You know, right. it's like, well, well, 
Right. I, I had a conversation with a guy just a couple of days ago about free will, and we went back and forth a little bit. And I'm sorry, it's just hilarious now. It used to it used to annoy me. Now it just makes me laugh. These guys who are who are telling me there's no such thing as free will. It's just cosmological forces. Yeah. But it's wrong for me to force my religion, you know, on other people. Yeah. And and it's like, dude, you are going to have to pick a side. Either yeah. <laughs> either there's no free will, yeah. or I ought not to do whatever it is you're telling me I ought not to do. Yeah. Mm. But you're right. They just float in the air, and they never pay any attention to uh, the fact that they are contradicting themselves. Right. You know what this Overton window's got me thinking about right now? I was just sitting there listening, and uh, it's almost it almost make, reminds me of how it's turned into a double-sided mirror, right? So we've got the Christians now on the double-sided mirror side to where there's an inter- – let's think of like an interrogations going on. Mm-hmm. We have a double-sided mirror so everyone can look inside at the person being interrogated, the Christians being interrogated. We have the secular world on the other side censoring everything they want to censor while the Christians being interrogated and can only see themselves in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that's what it makes me think of. That's where we're at. It's like, what, how, do, how do we even get there? How did yeah. that happen? It's, it's blowing my mind. That's a, that's a good analogy. Uh, I like that. Um, let me, let me uh, turn this corner actually into what you guys are doing there in Utah. Um, Wade and Andrew are planning Apologia Church, Utah. Um, and they just actually had their first Sunday, uh, last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago. I want to first just kind of introduce you guys so you guys know Wade, and then I'll introduce Andrew, and then we can get into uh, what you guys are doing there. But Wade is the pastor, elder of Apology Church in Utah since it was founded in October 2021. Wow, this this bio is so up to date. <laughs> he was raised by the elders at Apology Church in Arizona for over six years. God saved Wade in 2012, and since then... He's been committed to following Christ and getting the gospel out to the world. 2012, you earned your master's in theological studies at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, GGB, uh, in 2013, 2017. So you got saved, and you just like went right into seminary. You know, I uh, I did. I, I grew up, honestly, in a nominal Christian home, and so I experienced a lot of the church growing up and just completely went wayward as a teenager and uh, when the Lord saved me in 2012, not even 10 years ago, um, I just, I, I couldn't believe what I had missed out on wow. uh, uh, the last 20 years of following Christ. And so um, at the time, I wasn't certain if I was called to ministry or not, but I knew I needed to catch up on what I had missed. So yeah. seminary yeah. was like a Bible study on steroids for me. And it was, it was a fun time. It was a great time. That That's awesome. And you got... Uh, you've been married since 2010, and you have a 10-year-old daughter together named Bella. Um, yep. So is your wife, did she become a Christian, or was she already Christian before you guys got married? She was a Christian before we got married, mm-hmm. and um, I had kind of sold it to her and her family that I was. And, you know, at the time I was going to a mega church, and, you know, I was asking them how I can be saved, and they told me, man, you just need to read the Proverbs and follow what it says, and just live the law outright, and uh, and do these things, and that's what I did. I white knuckled all of all of that, and tried to clean myself up the best I could. Wow. And wow. with that, I you know found my wife at that mega church, and uh, told them, hey, I'm going to put God at the center of our relationship. And I was working as a shift manager at a grocery store, and they said, wow, okay, uh, yeah, we we believe you. And little by little, that started to degrade when you're not truly saved you can act like you are but 
that didn't last. And soon, uh, a little bit after being married, I, I had committed myself again to, you know, drinking every night and neglecting my wife and my, and my newborn daughter and just, you know, living a life um, a, a against Christ and rebellion to him. And uh, man, when he saved me, my wife had uh, eventually told me every day she had been praying that um, God would crush me and mm. he would humble me and bring me to my knees and save me because she, she realized pretty soon after that I, that I wasn't actually saved. Wow. So. That's, that's amazing. Uh, Andrew. Andrew is in the Office of Deacon and Apology Church in Utah since it was founded again in uh, October 2021. Prior to Utah, he'd been serving as a deacon, a deacon for several years under uh, and training under the elders of Apology Church in Arizona. Andrew's also co-host of the podcast called Cultish, so you may have heard his voice before. That podcast dissects cults and fringe movements of many types from the biblical worldview. His heart is to reach the lost and help those coming out of false assemblies. Andrew's been married to his wife, Casey, since 2014. Andrew, uh, they have, uh, and together they have a daughter named Marley, a son named Poet, and he doesn't know it, and a baby boy on the way. Yeah. Oh, man. Family Any is Any moment, of- actually. Any oh, really? Moment, yeah. really? My wife's due date's on the 20th, and she started having like some contractions sun- last Sunday from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., which mm-hmm. is kind of like a sign that maybe yep. things will happen within the next few days. So. Yes, sir. Well, you know, when you're on a Presbyterian show that's called Water Break, you know what that means for babies. <laughs> that means that they're already getting baptized coming out of the womb. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, um, uh, so now you guys are planting a um a church in in utah where where where's it located just kind of give us the 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 intro to it where's it located um now what time does church start uh you know um and then what you guys are about sure yeah it is on uh every lord's day every sunday at 4 p.m and it is in a, a city south of salt lake city a suburb of salt lake city called south jordan and uh it's just been glorious. Yeah, we've had two services so far, and um, the Lord has been blessing it, and he's, he's growing his church. We're relying on him to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, 4 p.m. Sunday, South Jordan. Okay. And then um, why did you guys plant in South Jordan? So the thing is, not a lot of people realize this, but Utah has actually the least amount of Christians than any other state in the U.S. Wow. It is uh, in, in most parts of the state of Utah, uh, very, all the various counties, uh, they can have a 0 to 2% evangelical presence. Many of them are 0%. And so like when you look at any sort of mission missions organization, uh-huh. when you have 2% or less uh, evangelical, that's considered an unreached people group. So essentially, in in our own country, uh, although you wouldn't know it, because under the guise of traditionalism and and conserv- conservative values and, and and American values, is this false religion that it, it is literally the most uh, religiously homogenous state in the U.S. Meaning that there's no other state that has so many people of the same religion, right? Uh, in, in Mormonism, and so um, just the need is unreal to reach people here. And, and if you look at statistics or if you look at even something like Facebook groups, ex Mormon Facebook groups in the last 10 years, they've grown from just a couple hundred ex Mormons mm-hmm. to now there's groups online of 40, 50,000 plus there's wow. people, more people, and they won't, 
they won't actually report it. The church won't report it. Uh, this false church won't report it. There's more going out the back door than going in the front door. And so with that, over the years, there's just been so many um, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and um, pastors who have reached out to to our elders, knowing you know the work that Dr. James White and, and Pastor Jeff Durbin have done and knowing you know their their uh, outreach to to the LDS. And so it kind of began all the way even back with them, even even in the 80s when Dr. White was going to Salt Lake City to, for general conference. And so with that legacy, it kind of came on our radar and they had been raising us up. And and uh, it, it, I, I, I kind of say I, we don't we won't romanticize it. I didn't I didn't turn a globe and then and close my eyes and put my finger and it landed on Utah. Um, right. You know, I, I had been. I had been in the process of being raised up as an elder and I had been given orders mm-hmm. of a location. And then it was at that point three years ago where, okay, let me, let me see, Lord, let me see if a burden is developing for these people. And, and of course going there year after year throughout, throughout the years, um, it, it just developed. And so we knew we had to come out there and uh, out here and uh, just kind of be reinforcements for the saints who are already here. Yep. There aren't a lot, but the reform group is very tight. It is very <laughs> tight. Um, even Jason Wallace at the uh, the OPC Church and and then Reform Baptist, they all got to kind of stick together yeah. um, because it is a tight group here. And so w- w- we're just so excited to join in in what they've already been doing and growing Christ's kingdom here. And so, yeah, it's just been amazing. Um, now, why particularly South Jordan? Why that kind of suburb area? Why not, you know, try to plant a church right across from the temple? Sure. So, believe it or not, uh, Salt Lake County, where the main temple is, uh, is largely uh, a secular humanist, believe it or not. Um, Mormonism is dying out in the main city there. And uh, everywhere you go, uh, you see transgender and sodomite flags and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And so, you know, our, our, our goal is definitely to uh, evangelize people like that, and we want to impact them. But south of uh, Salt Lake City is where all the large Mormon families live, Ton- tons of Mormon families, homes where you're going to find um, straight up three, sometimes three to four master bedrooms, and we all kind of know why, right? Um, and so large Mormon families down there, those are the people we want to impact the most, of course. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it was also just God's providence. We, it, it is actually very difficult to find a place to rent here um, uh, for a church plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, the, the Mormon church controls almost everything. Uh, there's, of course, state-run liquor stores, and they control schools and politics and things like that. It's, right. it's like a cabal. Right. It's, um, it's like being Vatican City. Yeah, Vatican City with Roman Catholicism sort of thing. And so we can't rent a school. We can't rent an auditorium because Mormons control it. And so um, this uh, this one really faithful church called the Mission Church in South Jordan said, hey, you know what? We, we've seen the uh, caliber of Apologia Church. We've seen your desire to reach um, the lost. And so, I mean, for, for next to nothing, they've really allowed us to rent their facility in the evening. And so, so it's, it's also partly that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, and your first church service was, was last week, two weeks ago, October 3rd, October 3rd. 
Um, that's why the October 21 comes in. Uh, and how many, how many, how many people did you guys have kind of attend your first service? It was around 175 to 180 people at our oh, first service. Way. Yep. It was unbelievable. Um, yeah. And of course we understand as a church plant, it's going to go through, um, you know, kind of go down and maybe go up and we're trusting God to build his church. And there, there is some regard in, in that, you know, it's got the apology in name mm-hmm. and we, we understand that's a blessing, but that, that also comes with other challenges with the apology in name. And yeah. you have, uh, what we call schismatics, you know, they're, they're drawn to novel and new things and, yep. They, they hold membership nowhere. They're, they're unruly men. They go from church to church yep. causing issues. And, and, you know, there's, there's potential uh, that we might already be seeing that. And so we understand there's multiple challenges. And our second service was, you know, uh, more around 80 or so. And we give all glory to God. I mean, most church plants start with about a dozen people. Yeah, and so right. uh, we, we always say success is measured in faithfulness, not in numbers. So Amen. if... If we have tw- 25 people by the end of the year, then we'll just keep doing what we're doing to the glory of God. So. And, I mean, I know you're a newer church plant, um, but you obviously being from Apologia, you guys have had, Apologia has had a long-standing relationship ministering to Mormons. Um, how does that uh, kind of, with that name and that recognition, have you guys attracted a lot of ex-Mormons into, into what you're doing there? It's kind of, it's kind of interesting being out here in uh, Salt Lake city. A lot of people who are here, um, they come from LDS backgrounds, you know? So a lot of people who are Christian now here were once right. LDS. So uh, it's, it's hard to say that there's many people that were once LDS now coming to apology at church, but no, most definitely people heard the name and knew we were doing a church plant. So people were coming, they came to our open house. Many of them were ex LDS or people just looking to evangelize towards the LDS community. And uh, yeah. So I yeah. guess the answer is kind of both. It's interesting. Sure. And I would say, you know, yeah, a lot of Christians have heard of us and, and people have said that Salt Lake city is the largest small town because it, it really, it, everything really gets around even in the, the Christian community. And so people know we've come and, and, you know, of course we're getting um, people, uh, you know, evangelical leaders here who, who, you know, I, I, I think they're, they're, they're in the bride of Christ. I, I, I believe that. Um, but, but they say, you know what, we've seen your videos guys. We've seen the way you give the gospel and, and there's, there's another way to do this. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's kind of, we've learned here in, in, a, in, in the Christian community here, it's like things, things such as membership, official church membership, that's a bad word. Mm-hmm. You don't do that here. Um, church discipline, biblical church discipline. Oh, no, you would never do that. Yep. And it's, it's kind of like, look, guys, the, the Mormon church, of course, created and made up tons of wicked, wicked things, deplorable right. things, and yet they baptize people in water. So should we throw that out? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So we, we don't throw out membership, we don't throw out church discipline, right. and we don't throw out you know biblical evangelism, which is the proclamation of God's Word. Right. And so we, we, of course, see that coming at us, and then no, no doubt, I mean, when we first even uh, uh, announced that this was happening— 
our our little Facebook page got, I mean, I don't know, oh, maybe yeah. more than I would say hundreds. Mm -hmm. uh, Mormon missionaries just got the approval to uh, uh, to to be on the internet, to be on wow. Facebook. They're not allowed to be on YouTube, but these young men are allowed uh -huh. to be on Facebook, uh -huh. uh, especially during COVID. Uh -huh. um, because then they could go onto local community boards and That's groups right. and be like, Hey, I'm willing to rake your yard and then indoctrinate your family. Right. And so, um, now they have that access. And so, um, I mean, we just got hundreds of them, uh, trying to attack our page and messaging us wow. and, and wanting to meet us here. And, and so when we go out and we do evangelism, you can kind of see that crowd coming out. Um, but they have a, they have a bankrupt you know, system. They have, it's an organization. It's like a corporate business here is what I've really come to find. And, uh, it, 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 it's dead. It has a false gospel and we're praying by God's grace that they leave it and they join with us with wrecking ball and hammer. And we tear down these high places. These temples right. are everywhere and they're an abomination to the Lord God almighty. So. Yeah. Amen. Is, is apologia. So, Apologies planted a church in, in Hawaii, planted a church in Utah now. Um, are you guys building a presbytery? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, you don't no, have to answer that. No. It's, it's obviously, it's obviously <laughs> a, good, a good joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have a baptismal, so. Yeah. <laughs> Baptistry. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> um well hey, thank you guys. Apologia um uh apologiautah.com. So apologiautah.com is where you guys can find them. Uh yeah. the address is on the website. They're obviously every uh Sunday, four PM in South Jordan. Go to the website, apologiautah.com. Hey fellas, thanks for coming on. We love you guys, praying for your ministry there. And faithfulness there. If there's anything we can do, of course, please reach out. Love to love to help you guys in what you're doing there. Um, there is a church up in Ogden. Have you guys connected with the Ogden Church up there? That oh yeah, okay. Refuge okay. Brian. Silver. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh yeah, those guys are incredible. Good. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Some good fellowship there. Uh, comedian next door, John Brandon. Uh, next yep. week we're going to get more into this comedy stuff. Um, there's a lot more that we wanted to get into that we didn't get into. Sorry, John. You know what? Uh, I'm just along for the ride, Gabe. Wherever you, wherever you take me, Captain, my Captain, I will follow. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. Uh, so, hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we got a great show coming Sunday night. We got a fun guest that we're going to be interviewing, um, kind of about like the uh, executive orders, presidential executive orders, vaccines, all that stuff. That's coming up Sunday night. So we hope to see you on the, at the Sunday special. This Sunday night. Uh, until next week, love God and go fight, laugh, and feast. American colleges have become more hostile to the faith of young Christians than the beaches of Normandy were to the Allies. Literally. Undergraduate training wasn't always a death trap of unbelief. Once, colleges were boot camps for body, mind, and soul. Now, most college students spend their days in tax-funded adult daycares with all the intellectual rigor of lazy rivers, safe spaces, and complimentary condoms. And in our recent COVID faux-pocalypse, those daycares became prisons almost overnight. Cover your face, line up for your shot, stay in your room, but don't worry, the condoms were still complimentary. 
At New St. Andrews, you are not on vacation. You are not in daycare, and you won't be herded into a dorm. From week one, you'll be treated like an adult. You're responsible for paying your own rent and developing your own grocery budget. Or going hungry. Get a shot. Or don't. Mask up. Or don't. Most of our students even work part-time jobs on top of the 40-hour class workload. It's part of the anti-fragile hustle and grind that distinguishes our graduates from the majority of their own generation and that employers and graduate schools love. Most college graduates in the U.S. are stuck paying off loans for years. New St. Andrews sets you up to graduate debt-free and dangerous, ready to pursue grad school, a family, or business opportunities in the real world without any reliance on pork subsidies from Mother America and with no weepy need for safe spaces. The real world isn't a cushy place. No one owes you success. You are entitled to exactly jack squat in this life. But rich or poor, unlike your face or your freedom, your job or your business, an education and the ability to think clearly can never be taken from you as long as you are still above ground. Not by petty tyrants or cowardly clergy, not by thoughtless mobs or lab coat megalomaniacs. At New St. Andrews College, you'll learn from teachers whose ideas equipped men and women to build Western civilization in the first place, and which will be used again to defend and rebuild what has been lost as the West has faltered into decay, losing her faith and her mind. Yes. Most of our best teachers are dead. But our classical Christian liberal arts education is how we've been graduating thoughtful, articulate outlaws and leaders with spines for the last quarter century. The intellectual and theological bedrock beneath the Judeo-Christian West is what you'll study, engage with, write about and own. It is what you will debate in class and present in public as you learn to live like forbidden fire, surrounded by the darkness of unbelief, manifesting God's truth, goodness and beauty to all who live around you. Training like this can't happen over Zoom. At New St. Andrews, we believe whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of real or virtual fools will suffer harm. Your peers shouldn't be your spiritual leaders. You should have a real flesh and blood in-person church for that. NSA is in the heart of downtown Moscow, Idaho, where you will witness men and women building Christendom on every corner. Where else are you going to be able to break bread in your professors' homes, debate great literature with them while their kids are playing, sing psalms while being arrested with them, catch turtles with them? No one comes to NSA to get lost in the crowd. You might be able to hide in a graduating class of thousands, but our classes are better measured in dozens. You will grow in this program or you will tap out. And when you finish, you'll be ready for life in whatever moments and scenes and struggles God may have prepared for you. We are training students who worship and march and study and fellowship and sing and write and start businesses and raise kids that no one can mask, cancel, or bury. We follow the King of Kings who knew the way through the mob and out of the grave. We fight to rebuild Christendom in the ruins in our families, and in our businesses, in the cities where we live, in the countries where we go, in the congregations where we worship. Your mom may worry that Moscow, Idaho is many miles from home. She should worry more about how spiritually distant even a nearby godless campus is. After four years in a Christian community like ours, you will grow much closer to your family. Don't stay distant. Click the link today to schedule a visit to New St. Andrews College.